Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, September the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 2.46 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, for me to get to the studio, I have to walk basically into my kitchen, if I can speak correctly, kitchen, dining room area, and there's a door to the right. Like, I walk into the kitchen, and then straight ahead, there's kind of like the dining room table with a lot of these windows, right, that you that are like kind of surround the dining room table. So you have the kitchen, the dining room, and right there in the kitchen to your right is a door, right? You may, you, you may not know what it is, but you open the door and all you'll see, well, is stairs. And the stairs go up to, well, what is now my studio here in the second story. It's a second story room that is now the studio for Theology Central it used to be the homeschooling room, okay? So I still need to I still need to hire someone to come in and decorate this so that it looks more officially like a studio. But it's the now officially the Theology Central studio. Now, I know you don't care where it's located. I know you don't care to try to picture where it is. Wait, so you walk into the kitchen. I know you don't really care, but just stay with me, right? But when you open that door, you see stairs. And you have to walk up the stairs to get into, well, this area where everything is set up for, well, live broadcasting. It's, yeah, I have to walk up, I have to ascend the steps, I have to walk up the steps to get right here. Now, why am I telling you that? Because that may be the best we have to try to understand the historical context for a psalm that we're getting ready to look at. Walking up steps may be the best historical context I can provide, or ascending, maybe that will be a better way, ascending may be the best way to understand the historical context for the psalm that we are about to look at. Now, some of you already know, oh, I know what he's talking about, the the songs of ascent. I I, I know that some of you already, you know, you know your Bible, you understand this. But I really want to emphasize this because what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the historical context for five psalms. And the reason we have chosen these five psalms is because they were chosen for us. Because a popular Christian website put for, put, uh, published an article. They, kind of, they published a, a Facebook video, first of all. And then there's an article, or maybe the article came first, then the video. But this Christian website wanted everyone to consider five psalms each morning. In fact, here was the title of the article, if you you will remember from part one. Five psalms to read in the morning to help start your day with God's peace and strength. And basically, this Christian website was putting forth this idea that, hey, you need to start your day, in a sense, with God's strength and God's peace. And where can you get this peace? By looking at all of the wonderful promises in five Psalms that promises you all of these wonderful things, and you can go into your day with a sense of peace and a sense of strength because you've been given and read and meditated and sung all of these wonderful promises found in these five Psalms. Now, it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. And there's a part of me 
You have no idea how much I wish this was true. There was a part of me that wish I could just like, I could hear Christians say things like that. I'm like, oh, praise God. That's so awesome. Those five Psalms, I'm going to read them every morning and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, basically claim those promises and I'm going to trust in those promises and I'm going to have peace and strength. This is wonderful. And I'm going to share it with everyone I know. I wish I could do that. But whenever I hear things like this, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to raise my hand and go, wait a minute. You just chose five Psalms. You're clearly implying that the promises are for me, that I can apply them to me, that I can claim them for myself, that they somehow are applicable to me. And because they are, I now can have peace and strength each day. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we sure they apply to us? Are you sure I can claim those promises? Because if you're telling me I can and I claim these promises and these promises do not come about in any meaningful way, then at some point, either I'm going to have to think, wait a minute, I did something wrong and you're going to have to give me the formula so I can actually get these promises in my life. Or two, it's going to make me question the validity of God's word and is God's word even true because clearly it doesn't work. Or three, which is clearly the one I'm going to go with, I don't think you're handling the word of God correctly, interpreting the word of God correctly, applying the word of God correctly, and you're actually harming people by telling them, hey, here are five Psalms to begin your morning with that's going to give you peace and strength when maybe in reality, those five Psalms are not really about us or really for us in a very, in a meaningful way. It may be, there may be principles and concepts that are applicable But maybe, maybe some of the specific promises have nothing to do with us. And now I know whenever I say that Christians lose their minds, but I'm just sorry. There's some promises in the Bible. Ah, I've told the story a million times, but but it's just, it's just the best example I can come up with because it's so, it's so outrageous and so over the top, but it gives you, it gives you the way how some Christians think when it comes to the Bible. So I worked with, with work, I worked with this woman. Her and her husband were trying to get pregnant, and it became a source of great emotional pain and frustration and, and depression, and, and, and you know, she, she was constantly really upset about this fact that they have not been able to get pregnant, or she had not been able to get pregnant, and so there was kind of a back and forth. Well, one day she comes to work, and she has this, like, almost a glow about her, like this, this joy, and you're like, oh, maybe she found out she was pregnant, but no, 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 no. For her morning devotions, she was reading in Genesis where God promised Abram and Sarai a baby. And that promise, she says, was for her. She was claiming that promise. And I was like, your husband's not named Abram. You're not Sarai. And that that text has no promise for you. And I know I didn't say it right, like right at the, at the, at the moment, but at some point I tried to share this. She was not very receptive to this idea, but it's just the way many Christians think. Oh, oh, look, I read this Psalm. Look at these wonderful promises. Okay. Now today I can go into life completely, you know, confident that these promises are mine. And it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So when I saw this article, I'm like, there's no choice. We have no choice. We've got to start a series. 
five morning psalms. We have to start a series and I need someone to create the artwork. So I go to the person who always creates my artwork. They created it within hours. Boom. We put the series together. If you go to the Church One app and look for series or Sermons 2.0, look for Theology Central, look for series. You'll see uh, the series. In fact, I'm looking at it right now on the Church One app. Maybe. Here it is. Um, I got to open up the Church One app. If you go to it, there it is. Five morning psalms. And so far, we only have part one, and now we're currently live for part two, which it will end up right there on the Church One app about 10 to 15 minutes after I'm done speaking. But yeah, you'll want to follow this series because it's a series really not about these five morning psalms. It's not even really a series about Christian websites ripping scripture so far out of context. It's really a a series about biblical hermeneutics. In fact, I could have placed this in the hermeneutics series. Because really, that's what it's it's about. Because so many times Christians do this. Just grab some verse from Jeremiah or Isaiah and say, see, that's, and I'm like, that has nothing to do with you. That has nothing to do with your child graduating from high school. It has nothing to do about your new job. It has nothing to do with you. Your name is not Israel. Your name is not Judah. You're not coming out of Babylonian captivity. This is not for you. And whenever you say that, Sometimes Christians look at you like you've lost your mind and it's like, no, just look at reality. You're claiming this promise. There is nothing in reality saying that promise is coming to pass in any way, shape or form. Right? It's just, oh, it's, it drives me crazy. But because it continues to happen on a regular and consistent basis, I feel someone has to turn on a microphone and go, hey, guys, we got to rethink this. So we're looking at these five morning psalms. Now, if you don't remember, if you don't remember, the five morning psalms, that they're, they're referring to them as psalms we need to read in the morning. I'm calling them five morning psalms. The ones in question is Psalm 121, Psalm 103, Psalm 91, Psalm 46, and Psalm 23. Five psalms, 101, 103, 91, 46, and 23. Now, 91, they only want us to look at four verses, and 46, they only want us to look at 11 verses. But you can just write down one, uh, 121. Did I say 101? I'm sorry. 121, 103, 91, 46, and 23. I cannot read my own handwriting. If I said 101, I'm sorry. It's 121. I have it open right here in front of me. Has to be 121 because I started this. If I said 101, someone should have been already emailing me. He said something about ascent. Songs of Ascent. It can't be 101. Okay, so, all right. Are, are we good? All right, I hope so. All right, now, if I didn't say Psalm 101, then I went through all that correction for no reason, but we digress. All right, here we go. Obviously, we got to figure out context. And we have to ask very important interpretive questions. What can we apply here? What can we not apply here? Not only not, what can we apply? How do we co- uh, cor- correctly understand the words of Psalms, right? Because Psalms is poetry, right? It's expressing emotion or feeling. Sometimes we preach it like, oh, see, David is just expressing an emotion here. And then other times we read it in a very like, please hear what I'm about to say, in a very literal way, like, no, that's a promise. No, that's a guarantee. No. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How do we, do we have any clear definitive principles and how to handle the Psalms. The same thing happens in the Proverbs. People will take some of those as like absolute 
clear, 100% always applicable principles. And I'm like, is that a general principle? Like, how do we handle that? And I think a lot of Christians, I hate to say this, not only are they not qualified, they seem incapable of trying to even figure out or ask these questions. And a lot of it is the fault of the people. the, the, The reason these things exist in the pew is because it's the fault of those in the pulpit to really equip or train or give even challenging the people to ask these very difficult questions. So are you ready to do a little work on Psalm 121? We're not going to do much. We're just going to do a little bit, but I hope this will be helpful. So first of all, if you have a Bible, let's just open Psalm 121. I got books all over the place. I got pencils. You hear that? All right. So if you hear any sound in the background, it's because I got stuff scattered all over this table, all right? It looks like a bomb went off, but all it is is just me. I'm trying to work on Amos. I'm trying to work on uh, Jude. I'm trying to work on Mark 2.26. I'm trying to work on five different Psalms. I'm trying to work on three enemies or uh, 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 the enemies within the church. And I've given you two and I'm thinking about what to do for them. I mean, there's so many. I've got the imitation of Christ here that we're so far behind on. I've got so many things going on. So I try to keep them all straight and hopefully benefit you, the listener, because if I can keep them straight, that's more content coming to your mobile device for the low, low price of free, right? Is that not good? And uh, some of you, I'm always impressed by how quickly or how often some of you just seem to listen to everything. I'm very, very much uh, appreciative of that. I know that I produce way more content than most people can listen to. And I know that sometimes this is, this is really just, um, this doesn't really matter, but I'm just, sometimes my mind, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here. Sometimes like, you know, if I produce less content, right? Then maybe I would have more engagement across the board. But then I'm thinking, you know what? I don't want it to be that way. I, I, I've never wanted this podcast to feel like a normal podcast with a normal podcasting schedule, right? I know I've had people say, you produce too much content and that's actually, you know, detrimental to your brand. That actually is, and I'm like, you know what? I don't care about a brand. I don't care about, you know what I want? I want a microphone. Got it. You know what I want? The ability to go live. Got it. You know what I want? The ability to put my uh, content on basically every podcasting platform on earth. All right, got it. And uh, all right, so someone says, I drive a lot. I need all this. Okay, good. So my, my thinking is, though, I just want it to be, you know, when I want to ascend the steps, just keep that in mind, then I just want to be able to turn on this microphone whenever I want to walk up those steps and talk about whatever I'm doing. I, I'm not worried about how polished it is, how... I don't edit it. It's just real, just a real person with a microphone saying, hey, guys, I'm looking at this. I'm talking about this and uh, and just produce as much content as possible. And whatever happens, happens. If it's too much, it's too much. I can't worry about it, but I digress. But the table, I say all of that because the table does look like a bomb went off. There is stuff everywhere. But um, in the midst of all of this, these books and notebooks and pencils, there's a lot of stuff here on Psalm 121. So I'm going to be relying on different commentaries. I'm going to be relying on a different stuff simply to help us get started on Psalm 121, the first Psalm that we're going to look at, trying to understand exactly what we should and shouldn't do with it, right? And a lot of this will go against popular opinion. I'm aware of that. 
but I will just take everyone's popular opinion, look at what they say, and look at the reality they live, and clearly what they say doesn't match the reality, because clearly these promises aren't for us, <laughs> okay? That, that I think that that's obvious, but okay, all right, are you ready? Let's start, Psalm 121. Psalm 121, I'm in Psalm 119, Psalm 121. Now, technically, we should look at Psalm 120, but Psalm 121 will give us enough, all right? Now, in I think in almost every Bible, you should see this phrase. King James will read, a song of degrees. A song of degrees? Wait, is this, wait, what, that's kind of odd. Degrees? Like, like temperature? Like, what do they mean by degrees? Okay, well, if you'll look in other translations, you'll see that the word degrees there is translated like this. A song of ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S, a song of ascents. And if you go back to Psalm 120, you'll notice a song of ascents. You'll look at Psalm 121, a song of ascents. If you go to Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. Psalm 123, a song of ascents. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. Psalm uh, 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Psalm 129, a song of ascents. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. If I can turn the page, Psalm 131, a song of ascents. Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Psalm 133, a song of ascents. Psalm 134, a song of ascents. And then last, but not least, Psalm 135. No, when Psalm 135 is not labeled that. Okay, I thought Psalm 135 was. It's not. It just goes to 134, right? All of them are songs of ascents. That is the key. That, that to me is the best we have of its historical context, especially for Psalm 121. So we have to look up the word ascent. The word ascent is this, means this, a climb or walk to the summit of a mountain or hill. So the songs of ascent have something to do with a climb or walk uh, to the summit or mountain of a mount a mountain or hill it's a ascent you are ascending like i have to ascend or climb the stairs to this studio these psalms have something to do with a climb or a walk to the summit of a mountain or a hill seeming to imply that these psalms have some historical context with people maybe reading or singing these songs Note, they're referred to as a song, singing these songs as they are walking up a hill. They are ascending. That's the context. Well, who are the people? That's number one. Okay. Who are the people? Number two, where are they going? And number three, do we interpret these words in light of those specific individuals? I think those are very good interpretive questions. So we do a little bit of work and we get some information here. All right. Now, as far as Psalm 121 is concerned, we don't have any idea of who the human author is. It appears to be anonymous. That means that destroys any specific historical context. 
We don't seem to know who the author is. Now, we would obviously believe the author is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good work. We, we get that idea. But we, 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 don't, have a, we don't have a lot of, of concept, a, a context. For example, according to one commentary, the circumstances that led to this psalm, and specifically which caused the psalmist to look to the mountains, are not clearly stated. Now, what they're referring to there is Psalm 121, 1. Psalm 121, 1, where we read this. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Why is he looking to the mountains? What, what, what is going on? We don't know what's going on in the person's life. We don't understand the circumstance. So in other words, we don't know anything specific. All right. Now, a sense. This is important. Some versions use the phrase degrees. The songs, psalms, of ascent comprised Psalm 120 to 134, right? Which together appears to have formed a hymn book used by pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, which is elevated. So this would be for people who are going to Jerusalem, which is in a sense elevated up on a hill. And as they go up, they sing these songs of ascent or songs of degree. Hmm, okay. Now that doesn't, that doesn't give a specific context, but I wonder who would be singing psalms, march, going, not marching, but walking to Jerusalem. I wonder who could that be? Do you think that's possibly, I don't know, Israel? Possibly. I mean, could I be like way, way, way off by saying that? Could it be that there's a, the historical context is this is Israel walking up to Jerusalem? I mean, what would they be going to Jerusalem for? Does anyone have any ideas? I think we probably can come up with some ideas. Let, let's see what we can find out here. Most interpreters feel that these Psalms were sung in the context of the great pilgrimage feast in which the nation of Israel was called to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate. Oh, now we're getting context. It is Israel. Three times a year, they have to go to Jerusalem. They're called there for these major feasts. So now we have the picture. Three times a year, Jews, Israel, going to Jerusalem, and as they go, they sing these psalms of ascent. As they ascend, they move through each song. They sing it. I don't know if there were specific marks on the, uh, mark, you know, specific places where certain psalms were sung, but as they go, they sing these songs. All right, so, so clearly historical context is, is giving us exactly who this is referring to. Now, the three feasts, this is even may make it even more specific, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, commemorating the exodus in the spring or Passover, all right? So this is this one would deal with the exodus, how God delivered them from bondage, how God, in a sense, delivered them from death and from bondage and from slavery. So you, God, and God did so in a supernatural, powerful way. Hmm, keep that in mind. They're going to remember this great deliverance where God did these amazing things, okay? Now, please note, it's Israel. 
there are there are clear promises God had given to Israel as well. If you go back to the the, co- the covenant promises of what He would do for Israel and bless them and do this and this, there's specific promises. Don't don't forget that. The second one would possibly been the feast of the harvest or weeks, Pentecost, the expression of gratitude for the provision of grain in the early summer. So once again, it would have been celebrating or going to remember God's provision, God's get, taking care of them, and and their specific promises to Israel. If you go back, say to Deuteronomy, that God would bless their crops and this would grow. Obviously, there's all kinds of stories dealing with Israel of God's supernatural provision, manna from heaven, all the different things, uh, you know, all the different things we could go through. So we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest or Weeks, the Feast of Booths or Ingathering, the Tabernacle, an expression of thanksgiving for the final harvest in the fall. And it is also possible, according to some, that these psalms of ascent were among those sung by the returning exiles from the Babylonian exile or Babylonian captivity as they ascended the mountains to Jerusalem and home. And we possibly have this alluded in the book of Ezra. So this would be Israel grabbing these psalms in times of deliverance or in times of going to remember what God had done for them, how God had kept his promises specifically the promises to, come on class, Israel, not America, not you, not me, Israel. Are you saying, is there nothing applicable here? Is there nothing we can learn? No, everything is profitable in scripture, right? There's going to be principles. There's going to be concepts, but we got to be very, very, very careful taking some of these specific promises and going, hey, you should have peace and confidence this morning because you read Psalm 121 and now you can go with all of those promises. You got to be very careful with that. All right. In the introductory note on a book uh, called Songs of Pilgrimage, the title of Psalm 121, A Song of Ascents, the psalm is the second in a collection of psalms with, with essentially the same title. Historically, this title has created a plethora of interpretations and approaches to this collection of psalms. Please note. You have just the, just the title, a song of degrees and a song of ascents. You get a plethora of different interpretations because that's the way it works in Christianity and in, in biblical scholarship and biblical interpretation. One little thing, and you can get 15, 20, 30, 40 different interpretations, which can be maddening sometimes. But okay, but we, we, I, think, I think we can establish, this is what I want to. No matter how much disagreement is out there, these Psalms were for Israel when they went to Jerusalem at least three times a year to celebrate feast that clearly was connected to God's deliverance to Israel and his promises to provide for them, which he kept. I don't think you can get around that. They go on to say here, recent scholarship has come to a general consensus that the title points to, hang on, my... uh, iPad just went absolute crazy. Okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> all of a sudden, it just it scrolled all the way back to the top of my notes. Okay, here we go. Um, so recent scholarship has come to a general consensus that the title points to songs of pilgrimage. 
According to this interpretation, these psalms, among others, were sung in the context of the great pilgrimage feast in which the nation was called to Jerusalem three times a year, which we've already pointed out. Um, the, clearly, this a term uh, uh, related to the pilgrims' ascent of Mount Zion to Jerusalem for worship. However, it may also reflect the professional ascents to the temple by the pilgrims themselves and the final stage of their pilgrimage, or by the processional choirs which led the gathered pilgrims into worship and celebration. So it may have been what was sung on the way there, but it also may have been like literally when you get there, that final steps to the temple may have been sung there as well. So it, it, we could possibly have dual application in both situations. All of these songs are likely have been sung uh, by the returning exiles from Babylon as they ascended the mountains to Jerusalem. And they again point to Ezra. Most of the songs have Jerusalem as a central focus of celebration. Please keep that in mind. The songs seem to have Jerusalem as a central focus, meaning this has a very specific historical context for a very specific group of people and a very specific situation that somehow us American Christians seem to go, ah, bah humbug. I don't need to hear about historical context. It's going to apply to me when I wake up in the morning drinking my coffee and I go to work. Okay, well, you just may want to slow down a little bit before you start saying that. Um, The themes of unity, brotherly love, family, and prosperity of life were natural expressions of worshiping pilgrimage community. The collection, evidently, has been carefully structured so as to create a progression. The Psalms begin with a prayer of distress from one who is far from home and concludes with a call to praise in the sanctuary of Zion. Now, that's interesting. If you take all of these Psalms of Ascent or Songs of Ascent together, do they follow kind of a pattern where you start here and you end here? If so, then it's all designed to capture the ascent to Jerusalem. In other words, it's all connected to that. And we can't just walk in and and basically kick the, you know, I hate to say this, but this is almost the way we we work as American Christians. We open our Bibles and we just step into the text like, hey, where are you going? Oh, you're going to Jerusalem? Boom, we come get off the road. It's our road now. It's about America. It's about us. You, I don't care about your temple. I don't care about Jerusalem. I don't care about your, your songs of ascent. It's about me waking up in the morning so I can have some sense of peace and God's strength. Because that's what that popular Christian website basically did. They, they didn't mention anything about the original recipients. They left the original recipients out. The, the original recipients were knocked off the road and go, it's our road now, buddy. This is about me ascending to a day of peace and strength of God. That's what drives me so crazy about how Christians approach the Bible. Now, we may give some kind of a verbal nod to the original recipients. We, will, we may mention them at the beginning of our sermon so no one can say that we ignored the historical context. But if all you mention is the historical context and then you interpret the entire thing apart from that original context, there was no point in mentioning it in the first place. I have more respect for pastors who just ignore the entire context Versus the ones who almost deceive people by mentioning a little bit of the historical context and then proceed to completely ignore it and the interpretation of it. That, to me, is more deceptive and more dangerous. 
because it gives people the the idea. Oh, see, they mentioned the, the the historical context. No, you've got to. That's got to govern your interpretation of it. Now, let's read the eight verses. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Now, if they're marching up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem has the temple, God. So when it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, the other, see, I'm going to read this from another translation. Read it from another translation. I will I I lift mine eyes towards the mountains where will where will my help come from I'm going to lift my eyes towards the mountains now is it just saying I'm going to lift my eyes to the mountain and figure out where my where where does my help come from or say I am looking to the mountains because we're walking up the hill the mountain towards Jerusalem we we could we could do a little work on this but the the um, go back go back to Psalm 121 sorry I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Ultimately, they're looking, but they know where their help is coming from. It's coming from God. Now, specifically speaking, this is Israel looking to God, knowing he is the one who has helped them because they're going to celebrate a feast that shows them God helping them. He has kept his covenant promises to them. He has done everything that he said he would for them. My help cometh from the Lord. Now, verse three, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He hath kept, he, he that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forever more. Now, I'm going, what we're going to do before we, because there's, oh, there's much I want to say here, but let's, let's at least go back to Psalm 121.1, at least that, that first part, that will lift up my eyes to the mountain. Just see how a number of commentaries mention it. Then I'm going to try to do something or going to ask some interpretive questions to get you something to consider. All right, here we go. Couple of, a couple of uh, commentaries. This Hebrew phrase for lift up my eyes, it, it basically means to lift and eyes. Okay, well, that, that's not helpful. This phrase frequently indicates a looking and seeing with anticipation of or disposition towards the object one is looking at. As discussed above, lifting one's eyes involves a choice of one's will, okay? And I know everybody wants to go there. Uh, they lifted their eyes. In short, we choose to lift our eyes. They just they want to talk about lifting the eyes, lifting the eyes, and trying to make it very, like, practical application. I, I don't want to get into that. Um, uh Okay, yeah, I, no, nobody really, 
Yeah, they, they do a lot with this. And maybe for a, like a, if we wanted to just ignore the context, I wanted. Yeah, they don't do they do they do a lot here. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something else. All right. I just want to see. Because I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. But let's look at something. I want to see if there's a major. How the all the ones. Okay, here we go. All right, so so the, I like this one. I lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? I lift up my eyes to the to the hills. From where does my help come? So I think it's the idea. I lift up my eyes to the to the hills to the mountains. But where does my help come from? Now, in some ways, I was thinking I was trying to see if it would work. That's why I wanted to see if any of the commentaries would at least address it. And they were all going like, I don't know. They just, they left the context and wanted to turn it into, I will, I will. And about you making a choice. And okay, we we could talk about that, but I don't, I don't want to do that right now. I was thinking that, well, they're kind of walking up the hill to Jerusalem. So I will look to the mountains and, and it's the idea that I'm looking up. It's not the mountain that's going to bring my help, but it's God who created the mountains and in his temple. But they're like, uh, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, but does my help come from there? Well, no, it doesn't. It comes from God. Um, I think that that's how uh, the Amplified Bible, uh, I will lift up my eyes to the hills of Jerusalem. From where shall my help come? That's interesting. The Amplified does go with the direction I was thinking. They're actually looking up to Jerusalem. Hey, I'm looking there, but where does my help come from? My help comes from God. Now, in other words, I'm looking to the mountains, but I'm looking to God, in a sense, who dwells in Jerusalem in his temple, right? That that seems to be the, the way I'm going with this. I think there's something to that, all right? We, we, we could talk more about it, but that, I just want you, I want you to at least just kind of think in regards to that. The real question comes down to now, what do we do with everything here? Because there's some specific promises that seems to be indicated in this psalm. So let's look at them. Let's see if we can make a list of them. All right. Clearly, God is the one that they're looking to for help. So here's promise number one. God is not going to suffer your foot to be moved. And uh, so your your foot's not going to be moved or your foot's not going to slip. All right. So you're not going to be moved. You're not going to slip. Number two, uh, God, the sun is not going to smite thee by day. Number three, the moon, not by night. He's going to preserve you from all evil. Uh, He shall preserve your soul. He will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. There's some very, very specific promises there. Now, if I take these promises while I'm having my morning coffee, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into the world today knowing that my foot is not going to be moved. I'm not going to slip. Okay, that the sun is not going to smite thee, nor the moon by night. Nothing is going to smite me. Not even nature itself can smite me, I guess. I, I Like, what do I do with that, right? He's going to preserve thee from all evil. He's going to keep me from all evil. Now, if I go out in the day claiming those promises, guess what? There's a high probability. Nope. Though, well, you know, at some point in your life, those promises clearly are not applicable, which this, 
And I know Christians don't understand this, but for many, it will lead to literally discouragement and it can begin to lead to deconstruction because you're like, wait, this stuff doesn't work. So I'm going to give you some ideas, some options here. Option number one. They're marching to Jerusalem to remember feast, to remember certain things God had done for, for them. And in those specific feasts, and those specific situations, guess what? God did deliver them. He did keep them from slipping. He did protect them. He did keep the evil from them. He did, he did all of these wonderful, powerful things to protect them. Is this simply, in a sense, remi- reminding themselves of what God has done and therefore trusting God in the future based off his fulfillment of his previous promises? In other words, do we understand these words as Israel being able to say these words because God had made specific promises to Israel? Now you could say, but but the nation was ultimately destroyed. I mean, Israel was basically wiped off the face of the earth, 70 AD. So how do we, was this just like, how do we understand this? Were these for Israel? Were they not for Israel? Clearly placing us in this seems majorly problematic from an interpretive perspective. Or this. Do these words simply express? Now see, this one's dangerous. Do we understand these words as just expressing a hope, a faith, and a trust in God? But if but is that a good thing if you express a faith, hope, and trust in God that God will do something that he has not promised to do? Do, do I see this as do I see this as promises specifically to Israel that did come true? But then I've got to deal with the fact what happens when it didn't come true. Right? That's kind of problematic. Or do I see this as just the psalmist expressing a faith and a hope? But is that a good thing if he's got a faith and a hope in God doing, uh, keeping a promise that he did not actually make? Or I guess we could go with a third one. Does this simply refer to what God will do for us spiritually speaking? These promises have nothing to do with any physical thing, all spiritual. For example, spiritually, I'm not, my foot is not going to slip and not be moved. Spiritually, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be smitten by, by moon or by sun. I don't know exactly how that would apply spiritually, but I'm not going to be smitten by the sun or by the moon. Okay, and then he's going to preserve me from all evil. Spiritually speaking, he's going to preserve me from all evil because I'm kept eternally secure. He's going to preserve my soul and he's going to preserve my going out and my coming in, spiritually speaking, because nothing can stop me from going to heaven. Somehow do these words only apply to Israel and what God had done for them? And, 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 and you could argue maybe future promises, but clearly there's a period where these things stop. I mean, obviously. So they, do, they, do, they, do they apply to Israel? Do they simply reflect a psalmist exercising words of faith? But is that a good thing if it's words of faith and promises God had not ma- actually made? And number three, 
Does this simply refer to spiritual promises? And all this is just symbolic language that we have to understand is fulfilled in some spiritual way. Now, the context makes it about Israel. There's no question. The context makes it in regards to what Israel, what God had done for Israel. Now, is there any, I'll ask, I'll just leave you with this question. Is there any any cross-references that you think would possibly 100% clarify it completely? Like, yeah, that, that would 100% clarify it. I, I don't know. But I'll leave it right there. You say, you didn't answer any of the questions. I know. Because the goal here is to make you realize maybe there's more to this than just sitting there opening your Bible early in the morning while you're drinking a cup of coffee going, man, now I can go out in God's strength and I've got peace because I've got these promises. That to me is an utter, utter twisting and, and abuse of scripture. But that doesn't mean that there, we, we're not left with some, some, some clear issues here. Israel specifically mentioned in Psalm 121. So, so all the context, songs of ascent, dealing with Israel, as they march to Jerusalem, dealing with Israel, okay? Clearly going to Jerusalem for the feast, reminding them of what God had done for them, clearly with Israel. So everything, the context is Israel, 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 Israel. There's no way to get around that. There's no way to get around it. I'm, I'm going to look at something. Uh, I'm going to look here. I'm going to go down to verse 6. The sun will not harm you by day. Um, okay, now I see. See, uh... The, the the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. These were the chief dangers of travelers, whether pilgrimage or uh, pil- pilgrims or others. So that that's 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 interesting. I I, I wonder like is this like, hey, we're gonna walk up here and God's gonna protect us from the sun and the moon. That that like like so does it specifically has a promise to them, um. Okay, the sun shall not smite thee by day. The Septuagint uh, shall not burn thee. The Hebrew word means to smite or to strike as with a rod or staff or with plague or pestilence and then to kill or to slay. The allusion here is to what is now called sunstroke. So so clearly it can't be a promise to everyone that God's going to protect you from sunstroke because that clearly doesn't happen. Um, Yeah, I mean they're 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 not helping here. So some say that this is poetically represents the dangers of daytime and nighttime. In other words, the dangers in the daytime, the dangers in the nighttime, God is going to protect you from. Again, though, for Israel, 
because clearly not for us. Um, yeah, nobody really. Yeah, so 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 no one really. <laughs> No way. Now, of course, the the Geneva Study Bible, which is more Reformed, immediately does, you know, what they do in Reformed theology. And again, I'm Reformed in my theology in so many ways, but how Israel gets treated in Reformed theology, I get very upset with. But look, neither heat nor cold nor any inconvenience will be able to destroy God's church, even though at time they may molest it. Hey, so this is for, this is, this is for the church. No, I I think that's for Israel. I think that's for Israel. I, I, I don't, I, that, not destroying the distinction between Israel and the church to me is just horribly horrible. It's just horrible. I reject that outright. Um, so nobody, nobody, none of the commentaries really explain what am I supposed to do with this? Like, hey, it's just poetic. But all of them say God's going to protect you from whatever the, the either the actual sun and the actual moon doing whatever negative things it can do, or it's just poetic about any dangers in daytime or nighttime. And that not, well, clearly that, that, see, does, it's just, just an expression of trust and hope. But what, how good is it to have trust and hope in something God hasn't promised? If I'm trusting and, for example, if I'm trusting and hoping that God is going to heal all physical sickness and illness that I have, that would be a foolish thing to have trust and hope in because it's not guaranteed nor promised. Not in this life. Now, ultimately, when I get to heaven, it is because I've got a new body. Well, there'll be no more pain, no suffering, no more death. But so I, I don't perceive that as a great faith to believe and trust God in something he never promised in the first place. I believe that's foolishness. And I believe it only sets you up for a life of disillusionment, discouragement, and probably deconstruction. Is, is, is poetic expression of trusting in God a good thing if the poetic expression does not capture the real essence of what God has promised? I, I've got, I, I just know that there was very specific promises made to Israel. If you go back to the Old Testament, especially the covenants and, and what God was going to do for Israel. Um, somehow this has to be connected to Israel. I just, I just, so I guess I can try to make it, you know, Hey, that's just spiritually speaking, but I, I, I don't know if they would have understood that. I don't know. I'll stop there. I've started the conversation. What do you do with Psalm 121? Let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Yeah, some of the commentaries here just do strange things, but hey, we'll, we'll just stop there for now. I'll, I'll wait to hear how the discussion goes. Newsif at yahoo.com. We'll we'll be doing some work on these psalms here or there, so we'll 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 work on this series as much as possible and as much as needed based off feedback, conversation, questions. Because I'm very curious how people think about these psalms. These are very well known psalms, and I've just seen some of the weirdest things done with some of these psalms that I'm still just completely baffled and confused by. 
So I'm just curious to see what you, how do you handle? I mean, you, I know everyone listening has read these Psalms. What do you do with them? How do you, how have you interpreted them? So I have an inquiring mind, so let me know. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.